Welcome to Medicare for All Explained. This podcast will enlighten our listeners and dispel the distortions that surround Medicare for All. Medicare for All Explained is produced in collaboration with Physicians for a National Health Program and is hosted and produced by Joe Sparks. I'm your host, Joe Sparks. This is Episode 53, Health Disparities in the U.S. Before and After the Pandemic. My guest, Monica Malouf, M.D., is a primary care internist and assistant professor of medicine at Loyola Stritch School of Medicine. She went to medical school at the University of Minnesota and completed her residency training at New York University School of Medicine in New York City. Her medical interests include HIV care and women's health, with a particular focus on marginalized communities. Dr. Malouf is co-president of Physicians for a National Health Plan, Illinois, and an active member of the Illinois Single-Payer Coalition. Dr. Monica Malouf, welcome to Medicare for All Explained. I would like to start by just having you discuss what health disparities were in the U.S. before the pandemic. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. I think that that is a great question. Um, It's a broad question because there are a lot of health disparities that exist in the United States. I think I always like to uh, reference, um, when talking about health disparities, the Institute of Medicine report. This was a massive report that was uh, published about 20 years ago, early 2000. And it was a consortium of experts from across the country came together uh, and they looked at hundreds of studies that looked at health disparities and care across the United States. And what they concluded overwhelmingly was that health disparities exist in America. The evidence was basically irrefutable. They saw that health disparities existed across medical specialties and across procedures. So what that means is what they saw is that if you were Black or Hispanic or non-English speaking um, or belong to a minority group, you were much less likely to get care that you needed as compared to white patients. This ranged from everything from basic blood draws, seeing a primary care doctor, all the way up to things like getting advanced cancer treatments or getting um, care for a heart attack for coronary disease. So they saw that across the board, minority patients were much less likely to get care um, compared to white patients, and that the quality and standard of that care differed drastically. And what we see is this trickle has trickled across our healthcare system. I mean, this is this report was issued 20 years ago, but even so today we've made very little progress. Uh, Black women have the highest peripartum mortality rates of any group. Um, Black men have one of the highest uh, death rates from prostate cancer and from colon cancer. And um, we know that Black patients who have heart disease have worse outcomes compared to white patients. So when we talk about health disparities, this is the landscape that we're talking about in U.S. healthcare today. Well, one of the things you were talking about, people, I think, who could at least get care, isn't there also a problem with minorities just being able to afford medical care? 
Yeah, that's a great point. So even just being able to go to a doctor, um, we know from studies published over the last 15, 20 years, that you are much more likely to be uninsured or underinsured if you are a person of color. A study that came out last year through um, the Kaiser Foundation found that of all the Americans who are uninsured, white patients make up the smallest percentage of those patients. Most of those patients tend to be Black, Hispanic, or Native American. Um, And that's just like having insurance. And as we know in the United States, if you don't have health insurance, accessing a doctor, seeing a doctor becomes much more difficult. And of course, there was this little thing that happened and has been happening that started in 2020. Well, maybe just before that, (laughs) but in the United States, at least 2020. And that's, of course, the coronavirus pandemic. How has the coronavirus pandemic magnified health disparities? So what we did is we um, took a system that was already inequitable, that already had uh, racism embedded in it, and we magnified all of those issues with the pandemic. Well, not we, but the pandemic did that. Um, So what we saw was that populations that were already had a harder time seeing doctors, had a harder time getting insurance, and were more likely to be discriminated against were also the most likely to not only get sick, but then ultimately die from COVID. The reasons for this are vast and complex, but we definitely know that a lot of our Black and Hispanic patients work in high-risk jobs. A lot of them are essential workers. And as I said earlier, a lot of them are uninsured or underinsured. Um, So when they do get sick, taking time off, coming into the hospital, seeing a doctor is a lot more difficult. And um, getting high-quality, um, top-notch medical care is also something they do not have access to based on you know, finances and community and, and access to hospitals and all of these things. So the health disparities we already had before the pandemic were magnified and worsened um, after the pandemic took hold. So given the current law, what do you think that we can do to minimize these health disparities now? That's a big question. I think that there are a lot of ways that there's a lot of work to be done. I think it's going to take time and the involvement of people at multiple levels. I think at the individual doctor and hospital level, we need to re-examine our policies, our education of doctors and administrators um, in terms of how they approach patients and what I consider vulnerable or marginalized patient populations. Um, At the regional level, thinking about how we fund healthcare, how we fund Medicaid, who we give Medicaid um, to, um, and how we provide care to people who are um, uninsured. Some cities like Chicago have a county healthcare system that helps support those patients, but not every city or county has care like that. And then I think at the national level, we need to advance conversations about access to care. Definitely, you know, and seeing with this podcast, talking about Medicare for All, I think is one way to help mitigate at least one problem in the healthcare system, which is the insurance issue. It's not going to fix all of the problems, but I think it's a step in the right direction. And I think it makes a lot of sense that opening access to doctors and healthcare is a first important step in helping reduce health disparities. Well, you mentioned Medicare for All. How do you think Medicare for All would help reduce health care disparities? 
not just the insurance issue, obviously, but other issues as well. Yeah, so we know a few things from um, looking at our health system the way it stands now. One important thing to recognize is that there is um, a lot of the disparity in life expectancy between Black Americans and white Americans is because of chronic diseases. Uh, Black Americans are more likely to die from heart disease, cancer, and kidney disease than white Americans, and that makes up a big part of our health disparities. Um, We also know that Black patients who have good health insurance and who have regular access to a doctor do quite a bit better than people who don't. We know that by looking at systems like the VA, the veteran system, where Black patients survive actually longer than white patients, and the VA is a system where all people who are veterans get access to care at any veteran veteran health clinic or hospital, um, regardless of their ability to pay. That also is true, actually, in, in uh, patients who qualify for Medicare. So in the United States, if you're above the age of 65 and you qualify for Medicare, you can access a doctor regardless of your, you know, your Medicare is your insurance. And we also see that mortality for Black and white Americans begins to even out once we start giving Black Americans insurance access that is more equitable. So we've already seen it play out in systems that we have, where once we give people access to care, we are able to reduce mortality. We're able to help improve their life expectancy by treating some of those chronic diseases, which are still the number one killers in America. So basically what you're saying is, If we can get people the care they need, obviously they'll do much better. And Medicare for all would make that much easier. Uh, Yeah, it's as simple as that. Being a doctor and having access to good medicines and treatment helps people live longer. And if we can give people that access through Medicare for all, I think the evidence supports that it would help mitigate um, a significant number of health disparities. I want to take a bit of an aside, because one thing you mentioned was the VA health system. There's been some headlines about the problems they have been having, but really the VA health system actually gives very good care. And while there have been some problems, for the most part, I think, it's fair to say that the care at the VA is very good. Is that an accurate assessment? I would say that is an accurate assessment. The VA has its own set of problems. um, And I want to be clear that the VA is not really the same as a Medicare for all system because the employees at the VA are employed by the federal government. So it, it functions differently than a potential Medicare for all system would function in the United States. But, um, but it is a universal system for the patients who qualify. And we do know from a lot of studies that um, the VA does provide very good care, very good high-quality care. Um, Sometimes patients do have to wait a little bit longer in the VA system for procedures, but as I said earlier, um, their mortality rates, um, their um, their ability to help patients survive things like heart attacks and cancer um, are just as good as as some of the leading healthcare systems in America on the private side. So... Um, So I think overall, there are some issues in the VA system. Um, There's definitely still some equity issues. Um, There's some issues as well related to gender and LGBTQ health in that system. Um, But in terms of what we know for 
um, for how good the quality of the doctors are, the care they provide, it, it's definitely comparable to any other of our major private healthcare systems. And now getting back to Medicare for all a bit, and we touched on this a little bit, but even if we had Medicare for all, there are some health disparities that Medicare for all won't solve. What are those? Yeah, so we do know from studies, like I said, that have been done over the last 20, 30 years that um, access to insurance is a big piece of um, health disparities, but it's not the whole puzzle. There is discrimination in the healthcare system. It's coming from um, everything from administration down to doctors and nurses. They've done studies where they give doctors a picture of a patient. One is white, one is black, and they have the same exact medical history, but the doctor picks different treatment for the white patient than they would the black patient. On average, these are, you know, big studies where they survey hundreds of doctors. And and so we know um, we know from these studies that there is discrimination happening in the healthcare system that needs to be fixed. And I think that that is going to take long-term um, re-education, improving the way we train our doctors. One of the doctors I speak of, so it's a question we have a lot at my institution, is how do we train doctors to be better to think about you know, race when we're making decisions so that we don't make these mistakes? We know Black patients are much less likely to get pain medications compared to white patients when they come into emergency rooms. And again, these are examples of you know discrimination happening that doesn't mean the doctor is racist or a bad person, but they may have some underlying biases that make them make decisions that, that would be different if the patient were white. And so rethinking some of those things, I think, is going to be really important. And then thinking about the United States landscape with our multicultural environment, having lots of non-English speaking patients, Spanish speaking patients, Mandarin, Cantonese, Polish patients. You know, all these populations that may need extra help and services because English isn't their primary language. Um, so those are all kind of other avenues, other things that we need to work on to, to think about long-term eradicating health disparities. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that health is not something that just comes from the healthcare system. It also comes from our communities. Um, so living in communities that have good potable water, healthy air to breathe in, playgrounds for children to exercise in are also really important to overall health. Um, grocery stores for, for their citizens to shop in. So thinking about public health and community measures that we can implement is also going to be critically important to um, helping reduce health disparities as well. One of the things I would like to add to that list, because I didn't hear it, but the importance of making sure people get nutrition and have enough to eat that, I think, would also help with health disparities. Yes, definitely. I think food um, and food access is a big issue in America. We have, on the one hand, populations that are lots of Americans who go without food, who are starving. And then we have a big portion of the population who live in what we call food deserts, areas where um, even if they can afford food, they don't have easy access to healthy foods. So they're relying on fast foods, highly processed foods things that we know cause diabetes and heart disease. Um, and so thinking about how to improve our food distribution, our food equity, um, is also really important to health. And you mentioned food deserts. 
but there are also healthcare deserts now. And Medicare for All, I think, would help address that too. Yeah, I think that what we've seen in the last decade is lots of rural hospitals shutting their doors because they are now getting um, a lot of rural communities in America um, tend to rely on Medicaid. Um, their citizens do, and um, Medicaid doesn't pay enough to keep the hospitals running, and so the hospitals have to close their doors. And we've seen that happen across the United States. More than, I think, 100 rural hospitals have closed in the last few years, and that exacerbates that problem, creating more healthcare deserts where people living in those communities can't see a doctor even if they wanted to or have to travel two, three, four hours to be able to get things like cancer care or care for heart disease and things like that. Yes. So there are multiple problems. And I think an important point to emphasize is that if we want to improve public health, as you said, it's not just a matter of access to care. It's other things. Nutrition, water, air. And I think that sometimes gets lost. Because to solve the problems, we have to look at holistic solutions, not just one aspect. Exactly. I think it can feel overwhelming to discuss all of the problems inherent in the, you know, the health crisis that we're in. But um, I think that what I encourage, you know, interested and passionate people to do is pick the avenue that you're passionate about and advocate for it and work for it. So that's you know, Medicare for All is something that I'm passionate about and I'm working towards, but I have colleagues in public health who are working aggressively to address the issue of food disparities in Chicago. And so there's a lot of problems to be tackled. As each individual, we don't have to take them all on, um, but pick pick one that is um, meaningful to you. And, and, and working on that will, will definitely make a difference. I think that's an important point. And before we end, is there anything that you would like to add? No, I usually just add by um, talking about the way that we ration care. You know, I, a lot of people worry that Medicare for All um, will lead to rationing of health care. Like, oh, if we give everybody in health insurance, you know, I won't be able to see the doctor. I won't be able to, you know, get what I want when I want it. Um, that's a big fear and a concern that I hear voiced um, across the board. And what I remind people, is, as we've just discussed, is that we already ration healthcare in America. Um, we just do it along racial and socioeconomic lines. People who are from racial minority groups um, or from low-income backgrounds have a much harder time getting care. Um, but if you can pay for it, you can get it in the U.S. And um, so I think Medicare for All will help level out some of that disparity and um, and help us create a more equitable system. Well, I think that's an important point that doesn't get brought up enough, that we already have rationed care in this country. Dr. Malouf, thank you so much for being on Medicare for All Explained. Thank you for having me, Joe. It was a pleasure. You have been listening to Medicare for All Explained. Information about this podcast can be found at our website, medicareforallexplained.org. The music for this show is Super Bubbly by Jesse Spillane. The logo was created by Lily Sparks. 
Thank you for listening.